Hello, I'm Michael Brodeur, and welcome to Leaders Alliance. We are a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who are passionate about helping you become the world-changing leader that God created you to be. Join the conversation. Well, welcome everyone to the Leaders Alliance podcast. And we're back with you now with two amazing guests today, Patricia and John Bootsma. And I'm super excited to turn it over to them in just a moment. But let me just say how amazing the launch of Leaders Alliance has been. Uh, we've been having our normal hub members meetings. It's called the Alliance Hub with usually 60 to 80 people on that and just breaking into small groups that are focused around our passions of church leadership or marketplace leadership or thought leadership or church planting. And so we've had these groups gathering. We have a group that's focused on intercession and the prophetic, and it's just been powerful and, and dynamic. Um, in fact, next week we have our prophetic breakout sessions. Uh, there's a lot going on, and so we're super excited about that. But the purpose of this podcast is to blast out to the greater body of Christ some of the things that we care about the most and some of our members, our leaders that are part of the catalytic teams that we're building. And so today we have uh, John and Patricia Bootsma. They have a rich history in the kingdom. I'm not even going to try to go over it. They have a big family, kind of like my wife and I, who Diane will be joining us in a bit. They have an amazing story. They've been, you know, they're, they're, balanced in terms of their their relationship because you know Patricia's so prophetic John's so pastoral and apostolic I'm so you know amazed at the quality that they both bring together as a team and so I'm super excited to have them on we'll probably have them each on separately sometime in the future because they have so much of a wealth of information to share with us but why don't you begin John and Patricia just by telling us a bit of your story let's start there okay yeah, well, I um, thank you, Michael, for having us on this podcast. We're delighted. Bless everybody that's out there listening right now or watching. And uh, Patricia and I, uh, I mean, we got married when we were 24, way back in 1990. But of course, our story begins well before that. And I'm grateful because I was raised in the church, although my dad was in a point where he said there's so much more than what we're receiving in this particular denominational structure that we were in. And so he sought for more. And therefore, I ended up getting more. And I recall giving my life to the Lord at the age of 10 for the first time. As a matter of fact, you might remember uh, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. And it was actually Dale Evans that led me to the Lord in a home meeting in Owen Sound, Ontario, Canada. And uh, and so at that time, you know, I was kind of compelled to give the to say that sinner's prayer. And then later on, I. I really repeated it because I saw things in my life that didn't line up with the confession of my faith. And so I really made a point of pressing into the Lord. Then during my teenage years, um, you know, you, you, you wanted to make a bold stand. And so I remember attending a Baptist church, you know, wanting to press into to the Lord. So appreciative of the, the emphasis on the word of God during that season and that time. And yet once a year, we would go to a campground for, for a six, seven day period. And it was like we got our Holy Spirit fixed. So in the end, I found out that I really had a deep value and a, and a rooting and a grounding in both the Spirit and the Word, which years later, I'm so appreciative of. And so as I kind of got out of my, you know, my closet Christianity phase, because I realized that I needed more courage to live out like, outright and boldly, 
what the Lord is, was doing in my heart. You know, I, I was walking that fine line, not wanting to engage in sin. So I had a level of the fear, a level of the fear of the Lord in my heart, but just really wanting to step into what the Lord had for me, because I knew that was my future. And even a prophetic encounter when I was about 12, you know, I knew that missions was in my in my future. But the Lord really spoke to me that mission starts in your own backyard. You know, we're called mm, to minister where we were. Good. And so developing into that, growing into that, uh, got ended up getting connected with John and Carol Arnett. And that's when I first met Patricia. But why don't you tell some of your story? Yeah, I grew up in a Canadian farm. I was eight years old and encountered by the Lord. This I wasn't even born again until I was 12, but I had this prophetic encounter. I don't even know who they were. Whether they're people, whether they're angels, but they appeared to me and just said, you're going to prophesy or you're going to travel the nations, tell people about Jesus, be part of leading people to Jesus. And I'm like, I can't do that. I'm a woman because I grew up in a church that didn't believe in women in ministry. They made tea, put out the cake. That was it. So uh, it was a pretty big deal when at age 16, I ended up um, going for more of God including, uh, you know, joining John and Carol's church. By the way, John Arna bought a farm, two farms over from my father's farm when I was 10 years old. <laughs> His great idea was to help drug addicts become farmers. It didn't really work out. We used to laugh at those guys. They repented later. But anyways, so I knew John and Carol when I was that young and then started their church uh, 18 years old. And, you know, just the more of God and the whole, wow, it was phenomenal to learn um, about the Holy Spirit, get baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. And then I had, um, just really quickly, but maybe this speaks to somebody, because I really had a very difficult relationship with my dad. But then I was wondering, why do I always end up dating guys like my dad? When I would vow, never going to marry anybody like my dad. You know, never going to marry a Dutchman, by the way. You know, and because I have a Dutch heritage. But anyway, and then uh, when John comes to the church, John and Carol's church back in Stratford, and the Lord had actually spoken to me, and this is a crazy story, but the Lord spoke to me the name of the guy I was going to end up marrying because I said, I'm so sick of dating. And I heard the name John and I heard John Bootsman. And I'm like, I can't marry a John. My sister married a John. That's another weird story. <laughs> but anyways, uh, when he came to the church, I'm like, there is a John Bootsman on planet Earth. Oh, my goodness. He's pretty good looking, too. But he was one of those good, those nice guys who opened the car door, closed the car door, give you flowers that I was never attracted to. So hallelujah. It's <laughs> healing. Because Carol Arnett, you know how to be at the right place at the right time. Carol Arnett went to John Paul Sanford at that time, got all this inner healing information. She herself was really, you know, healed of many things in her past. And I was like, sign me up. So I watched the videos. She ministered to me. My whole life got rocked. Demons left. Hallelujah. And I began to look at John thinking, oh, my goodness, this guy's great. What was I thinking? So, um that's john and carol married us and it was, it's been an amazing journey to go on staff in toronto with them in 1995 and be with you know ever since but uh it's amazing michael and diane that uh, god is just so good you know puts you sometimes right place right time meeting the right people doing the things god's called you to do <laughs> yeah. so good wow and we ended up you know six children and we just had our seventh grandchild born so we're just kind of shaking because we i blinked and 20 years ago i mean yesterday i was 20 years old you know and all of a sudden life catches up and we got 13 offspring wow that's crazy yeah michael always used to say to us about our life we bit off a big chunk of life and i'd say you guys bit off a big chunk of life too it's extraordinary hearing um about encounters with the living God from the time you were little. Yeah. And um, that's not, 
I don't think that that's actually that ordinary for people nowadays. Um, have your children had experiences like this? Yeah, I would say that our children, like by God's grace, okay, it is him. I don't want to sound like we're all perfect, but they all passionately love Jesus and they're all following the Lord. And, and uh, it's a great privilege when uh, our daughter Aquila even was born. Just another quick story. They're in Toronto. We had just come on staff, 1995. Paul Kane gives this great prophetic word, calls me out of the crowd, gives me a prophecy about our children. And wow. even, I, I still remember Isaiah 54, all your children be taught of the Lord. But then he said they will be in a safety deposit box. God will protect them. I'm in late, I'm, I'm nine months pregnant at that moment when he gives the word with Aquila, our third born. I fall on the floor. I'm out, I'm on the floor, you know, kind of out of it in Jesus. And um, I go into labor on the floor in the church in Toronto. Oh, so wow. The microphone, please come to the front. Your wife is in labor. This is like at 11 o'clock at night. John, I don't know where John is, but somebody, you know, John comes, takes me to the hospital. I'll never forget that one because, you know, the doctor, he was been a doctor for 25 years. And he would say, uh, like, are these contractions are pretty strong. They're like, woohoo, oh, you know. And then, honestly, I had no pain whatsoever. That was not the case for the first two kids. But it was like a glorious Holy Spirit delivery um, where the doctor said that was the most unusual birth I have ever been in. And, uh, you know, just seeing that child, Aquila, is so prophetic. Every time she would have a dream, we pay attention because it comes to pass. So they're not all perfect. But uh, to, you know, God's grace, they love Jesus. We did write a book. I wrote a book on parenting called uh, Raising Burning Hearts. Uh, you know, raising children that passionately love Jesus. So we're 10 minutes now from IHOP International House of Prayer. We moved here a month ago to Kansas City. You're going to start Kansas City, uh, Catch Fire, Kansas City. But our other daughter and her son-in-law, our son-in-law has just been put in charge of the House of Prayer, like the 24-7, under Mike Bickle. So we just see them running after God. Um, and so, hallelujah, you know, there's a lot to be said about that. But God's grace is big. Yeah. You know, you sow your seed as you go. You try to be faithful day in, day out. And, and it's amazing to see what comes out of the seed that's sown in their lives and in their hearts and the things that you've taught them from a young wow. age. They, they value the word. They value the place of journaling, hearing the voice of God. They value that place of encounter. Even our daughter Aquila, the same one, you know, gets these dreams that come about. She she sees it before it happens. And, wow. and we have a daughter that has some special needs. I mean, she had a dream that mm -hmm. basically told us that she could be falling out the window. And that day she was pulling the screen off the second floor window to fall. And that still happens. Wow. So we're in amazement at the goodness of the Lord in, in what he's done in the lives of our children. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Well, if you're just joining us, you know, we have uh, our guests, uh, John and Patricia Bootsma, and they have just an amazing history, both in the Lord as well as in ministry and their family. And, um, you know, just one thing to know if you're visiting with us on this podcast today is that we really value two aspects of the kingdom. And one is the supernatural power of God. The other is the super practical dimensions of Scripture and the principles of Scripture, how they apply to life. We really want to keep the Word and the Spirit very close together, understanding our relationship with both, our absolute dependency on both, the authority of both in our lives, that spirit of wisdom and revelation spoken about in Ephesians chapter 1. And so as, as uh, John and Patricia are going to be sharing more, they're going to be drawing on some of that supernatural experience that they've had in the Lord as well. 
And so we just want to say, go for it, you guys. Give us a picture of the steps you've taken in ministry, just like, you know, the major blocks of time. And now you're in Kansas City. Tell us about that. But give us the the, the sort of the highlight moments of, of what the last 30 years of ministry. Yeah. Uh, we were associate pastors in Toronto for eight years, uh, and then we were asked to be the senior pastors of the Mother Church of the Toronto Church, which is the Stratford Church, going back to the hometown, uh, our hometown, my hometown. And we were there as the lead pastors for eight years. And um, one of the things I'll just quickly interject is it was very difficult to leave revival in Toronto and go back, go back to your hometown. No and the, just the, it's interesting that the Freemasonry uh, impact on Stratford with its streets are designed by the Freemasonry symbol. Drug um, houses were a major problem per capita. It was one of the top drug cities. And I was like crying literally every day for six months. God, what are you doing with me? What's wrong with me? What's, what, what, you know, you put me to pasture. And the Lord began to speak about, um, about how to redig wells of revival. Stratford, you know, hometown of John and Carol, is also the place where uh, Amy Simple McPherson was born 20 minutes from Stratford, and she wow. pastored for a period of time in Stratford. John wow. G. Lake was born in St. Mary's, which is five minutes away, and so he came from that area. Justin Bieber, I could go on. Jonathan Goforth, missionary to China, if you know Isabel Allen, who was in Costa Rica, but, you know, prophetic people, John and Carol aren't. And so we're like, God, how do you redig wells of revival? Because we were really desperate. And the, I remember Don Potter, the musician, gave us a word early when we came to Strawberry. He said, there's something about this, you know, this church, this city. There's a, a, something's going to go back to Toronto, going to affect Toronto. And how you know this is a word from God is the river that flows from Stratford to Toronto. And we're looking at each other and say, is it a river? No, I don't know. And then he said, intercession in this church is amazing. We're like, we weren't really praying, but I did have this encounter where we did. Little praying mantis showed up at our doorstep in Toronto before we left our Stratford. Every morning, three weeks, a little praying mantis, hands raised in prayer, was sitting at our doorstep in Toronto. It was very unusual because they would be in the country. Anyways, it was like the Lord began to speak. I'm going to teach you how to pray. And so we were thrown into the deep end. Um, we started a house of prayer. We, did, Unbeknownst to us, we just started praying. That's all we did. We just gave our mornings to the Lord in prayer. And by the way, that's what John and Carol Arnett did before the revival hit Toronto. They'd given their mornings to the Lord in prayer. So we began to do that, just John and I. And then we took it to the church uh, and other people started to join. Got really wrecked one time with an encounter where the Lord said, I want you to teach, live, and do the tabernacle of David. In my mind, I'm thinking, what is the tabernacle of David? I know that's in the Bible. Uh, but it really, if you see it, it's a, it's a prayer place. David gets the Ark of the Covenant, glory of God, brings it in, sets up 24-7 prayer worship. So anyways, as we began to pray, guess what? Drug houses started to blow up, get discovered by police. Holy Spirit started to move in the church. We started to see healings and people getting saved. First sign something was shifting, though, was prodigal sons and daughters came to Jesus. Radically, radically got saved and it was incredible turning point that we were realizing we needed to invoke God more into ministry. <laughs> we weren't riding on the coattails of John and Carol anymore. We were we were re, you know digging something. So all that to say this, then we were asked to go back to Toronto in 11, 2011, start the House of Prayer, which we did, and pastor. And we were there till 18. Period of time we were helping uh, um, in the nation's capital of Ottawa. But we came to America, to Raleigh. God bless Duncan and Kate Smith because they just blessed us to be able to come 
to America two and a half years ago and been there in the, the base really for Catch the Fire in America is Wally. But then uh, this year, just say this, we're, we have a 40 day fast, 40th day of the fast, the Lord just gave a dream and said, now's the time to ask Catch the Fire to go to Kansas City because there was a dream prior, two years prior, uh, our daughter who lives here um, had a dream that John Arnett came to her in the dream and said, Gabriel, we need to start a Catch the Fire church in Overland Park, which is right here on the Kansas side. And she said in the dream, yes, and I know who should do that, my parents. <laughs> so <laughs> that dream, wow. all this. So we are on the Kansas side, and we are about to launch Catch the Fire Kansas City. And God has just been, you know, John Arnott calls the convoluted journey, <laughs> the convoluted journey of life, because uh, for us, it's not one city. For the rest of our lives, it's a bit of a convoluted journey, but it's a great journey. So it God is, is God is good. It is a great journey. And so we're excited about what, what comes ahead, but we're in that place of, oh, God, oh, God, thrown <laughs> yeah. into the deep end. We kind of joke, you know, you know, the John Arnott School of Ministry and push you into the deep end and start swimming. So That's everything good. we learn, you know, we get to put into practice and, uh, and we're trusting the Lord and believing him to breathe on it. Yeah. Now, this is going to be an interesting season because, you, you know, normally it seems like you guys do a lot of your ministry time separate from one another. Um, you, you have some different emphases, different responsibilities, but now you're going to be doing something in tandem. And uh, but, John, why don't you talk a little bit about your specific responsibilities apart from the church plant? And then, you know, Diane can ask a little bit on your side, Patricia, about the other. So, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, when we came, when we stepped uh, out from the local church in Canada, out from Catch the Fire Toronto, it was to take more of a regional role. Uh, part of it was to look at doing different events, look at, at expanding the footprint of Catch the Fire within Canada. And then when Duncan and Kate invited us to come down to the USA, it was really to expand that within the USA. And so um, under JT, who's one of our catalysts in Leaders Alliance, had been taking that role, but things were shifting for him a little bit. So we took it on prior to COVID with the intention of going out, doing different events, trying to really take the very values that had been uh, imparted to us by the father in Toronto from 94 that transformed and changed so many hearts and souls and churches and cities and really continue to see those released. So we're talking about the father heart of God. We're talking about the intimacy with Jesus, hearing his voice, get your heart healed up. You know, don't let those obstacles keep you back. Let, let's engage that place to deal with those things. You know, deal with bitterness, deal with unforgiveness, deal with injustices that have happened to you. And so we take that plus, of course, wanting to encounter, wanting people and, and churches and cities to encounter God's transforming presence and to see that released. And so with the years of experience that we've had, we step into that. And so even now we're looking in in this base we're in very central usa continental usa now and so our hearts are to go out to different locations and to uh, really bring what the lord has imparted to us and to see that released in different regions different spheres of influence and to do some of that traveling and continue to expand build also into church planters we're providing leadership to a church planter what we call a cluster group which is really a small group and to provide levels of coaching to them, um, to build relationship, to try to help see them develop and encourage them in different degrees and angles as well. So that's that's still very much what we're doing within the Catch the Fire framework. 
That's amazing. Wow, that's a lot. That sounds wonderful. You know, um, it's not typical across the body of Christ, even in this day and age, where men and women um, within the ministry work together or even separately, where um, the wife is noted as a person in her own right or as a leader or as, and I'm, I'd, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. Um, one of the first things that I noticed with Catch the Fire with John and Carol not, or not, he would always have her up on the stage. He would always have her share. He would ask her to pray. He would ask her to minister and he honored her. And you could tell he wasn't honoring her because he wanted to try something novel, but that he really believed that women were equals in the kingdom. And he's modeled that throughout the ministry, which you're a fruit of. And, you know, for those um, that are listening to this podcast where that might not be typical, I'd love for you to speak to how did that originate and how how are you thriving in that? It, yeah. It's yeah. a really good question. Thank you, Diane. It's interesting you asked that because I was just a couple of weeks ago on the stage here at, at IHOP. As uh, David Bradshaw from Awaken the Dawn had asked me to be on a panel with him. And don't you know, the first question that somebody asks is about women in ministry. So they pitch it to me. And I'm like, uh, you know, uh, because it's just been so long that that has not been an issue for me anymore. That I hadn't even really thought about it. Do you, do you know what I mean? It was when I was younger. And I, you know, left the church that I grew up in, which was a bit of a family crisis at first because the generation upon generations of our, my family had been to this church. Uh, but um, under John and Carol, it was just so freeing to be a woman that was able to have a voice in, in ministry. And I love what John Arnett would say. He would say, we need to see half of the army be released, to be released. The women that have been held back, uh, and I do believe a lot of what we see scripturally has been, it, we need the cultural interpretation. So having a, a lot to do with Israel lately, by the way, and I, I also pray for Israel and Jewish people. But in that day, for example, when Paul was saying, let the women keep silent, let the master husband at home, there was a women on one side, men on the other in the temple. And they, these women would say, hey, you know, Simon, what's the preacher talking about or whatever? And he'd be like, uh, so they would, there would be disruption. So I understand, let them keep silent, let them ask their husband at home what was going on with the service or whatever. So Jesus had women with him all the time. And we we're talking Junius and a women apostle and Deborah and on and on. We could talk about the women prophets. And so in other words, we see modeled the fact that women had a voice and had a Right. So that was, that was so uh, freeing. And I remember before um, officially coming on board with, uh, when I was even a, a university student, uh, with, with not married yet to John, when I started a home group in, in London, Ontario, which uh, John Arnett came and helped me start this group, which really grew and grew. But there was such a value on, on women. And then for a period of time, the bank, he was a bank, John was a bank manager, moved us to a town and it was just like no women allowed to do anything. And I was like, God, but I know there's so much inside of me, God. And I just remember the Lord saying, a gift will make room for itself. And then when we rejoined with John and Carol and the revival and it's just Lord, you know, just caused everything to shoot up from there. 
And uh, it's such an honor, but I would say to women listening, like women who have had maybe a similar background to mine, where you were taught and it was modeled to you, keep silent, there's no role for you. I would say uh, forgiveness, forgiveness is a thing, Mm. you know, I forgive the ones that shut me down I forgive the ones that tried to push me, but I'm also want to go low and slow in the place of humility. And that's what I think is a key is when I was raring to go and the Lord would kind of say, ah, let's just work on your heart a bit more. Oh, let's just work on your heart a bit more. And um, the Lord made room. The Lord made room for me, you know? And so anyways, I'm super grateful for this culture and I'm so used to it now that if I'm, you know, asked a question about women in ministry, you're like, oh, right. Is that still an issue? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interject too on that if I can, because to me, I, if I look at some of those movements where the woman is, you know, the pastor's wife and categorized other than an equal with their husband. What I see, what I have seen too many times is suddenly the the man of God, the pastor, his mistress is his ministry. Mm. And not only that, I think as I look at what are some of the factors that might lead to our children really all loving Jesus, for which we're so grateful and by no means do we take the credit for it. But I think the fact that my ministry wasn't, my mistress wasn't the ministry, but Patricia and I together mm. as a family had corporate similar values that engage the culture of the family and the children saw that so that they recognized that together we were in this this was a family vision that the children were also allowed to partake of because there's value for everybody and and i recall once when john was at john arnott was asked that question and you know about women in ministry and he gives such a trite answer but so brilliant he says well why don't we just bring in the harvest together first and then we can deal with theological questions Right. I mean, it's so it's so good. And again, even scripturally, and I'll end with this, but sometimes it's translated even as man and women, you know, women don't be teaching a man, but but it can also be translated husband, wife in those. And so it's just so important that we look at the overall translation and what it's truly saying and let there be honor. I mean, I look at Patricia and I see the anointing that she carries in the prophetic. So I want to submit myself to that anointing. I want to bless that anointing. I want to push her forward in everything that God has for her because it's like a it's like a plow that's plowing the way for not only her and I together, but anybody else that might want to follow along into the leadership that we're privileged to provide. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. You know, General Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, said, some of my best men are women. <laughs> That's a, that was his response. In fact, that whole movement was built, I think, two thirds with women missionaries going out and mm-hmm. and transforming the world. Mm-hmm. And so again, it's it's just something that we have to remember. I you know, David Yongi Cho recently passed away. I think he had yeah. probably like te- you know, I think it was maybe fifty thousand home groups in his church. Most of them were led by women. You know, again, we just have to look across the body of Christ to see all yeah. of the amazing participation that women can bring. Yeah. And uh, and so, you know, I think, like you said, uh, Patricia, I think that argument is kind of an older thing. But Patricia, why don't you give us a little sense of just you know your extracurricular stuff? You guys are planning a church, but you're doing a lot of other stuff in the prophetic intercession and so forth. Give us a picture of that. Yeah, thanks. Uh, the prophetic began to really take off. Yeah, there was things in my childhood, but I will say this: during the, you know, as the Holy Spirit was poured out, just the prophetic began to take off in my life, and I'm so grateful for that. So grateful for the open doors. So, I have traveled pretty uh, extensively since um, 22 years ago internationally as a prophetic voice. I did lead the Canadian Prophetic Council. Now in America, I'm on the. Uh, American Coalition of Prophetic Elders. 
under Cindy Jacobs. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny, uh, Diane and Michael, because one of the early manifestations I had in Toronto was I sounded like a train. It is, it was all embarrassing. Like I would go, choo, choo, chugga, 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 choo, choo. You know, like, you know how people, the manifestation, sometimes people laugh, sometimes people cry, sometimes people would roar or whatever. And I, I knew I could stop it, but then I felt like I would be stopping something the Holy Spirit was doing. And so I remember that I'm like, God, this is like so embarrassing. What are you doing? And I felt like him say to me, it's because you're going to be training people up in the prophetic gift. So I'm like, oh, chugga, chugga, choo, choo. So, so and it really has happened uh, since that time. And uh, that's one of the things that I'm very passionate about. So uh, written three books. Um, and I um, also lead a prayer for Israel. That's a separate component. I'll just say super quick that when I was a child uh, growing up on the farm in Canada, I used to pray for the Jews when I was five, six, seven, eight years old. I know that's very unusual. I never even met a Jew. And it's because I think my parents grew up in the Netherlands during the war. And they were, told me stories of when the Jewish children would disappear. You just have to plug in, sorry, uh, uh, with the cord. Okay. <laughs> sorry about that. Forgot to check the uh, check the cord strength. Anyway, so uh, I, I had a heart for Jews. My grandmother would save the Jews during the war in the Netherlands, and so began pray. I was asked uh, to lead prayer for Israel for the Jewish people. We actually live amongst a Jewish neighborhood right here in Kansas City, so uh, I do something called the Israel Virtual House of Prayer, and that's just another story. But I believe, by the way, that we are going to see, obviously, the great billion soul harvest, revival of souls, all these things. And a, a component in that is Romans 9, 10, 11, that we pray for the salvation of the Jew. I believe that we're going to see our own great revivals, America, Canada, beyond, when we actually get praying for the salvation of the Jew. Because the Lord said, we will provoke them to jealousy. And Paul's tears and anguish, uh, I believe that that's to be our tears of anguish and to pray, pray and cry out. So that's a bit of connecting the dots from my history as yeah. uh, having parents growing up in the war and in the Nazi occupation. But there's also something that just God has placed in my life. And so, yes, Lighthouse is a prayer, love Jesus, prophetic. Um, God is good. That's all I can say. And by the way, you mentioned William Booth. Uh, did you know that when some of his people, they, they, at that time it cost per word to send a wire. And they said, how can we win more souls? You know, How can we be more effective in evangelism? And he just wrote a wire with two words. He said, try tears. <laughs> try tears. Wow. And uh, it's just that tears of travail that can come upon us every time. I don't know. I just want to talk about a prophetic leaning. I just feel to bless that right now. I've had embarrassing times of where I am in travailing tears for souls, not just Jewish, but souls. And I'm like, God, what are you doing to me again? And it's just like I, I know uh, that this travail and every time I would give in to the travail of tears and, and like birthing something in the spirit realm that is saw more souls get saved after that. Saw more effectiveness in evangelism. I've led teams on the streets. Many times in prophetic evangelism, seen hundreds and hundreds of people on the streets get saved. And I just want to pray for anyone listening Amen. that's been saying, you know, I want to win more souls. Try tears. Try the try prayer, because that's exactly what Jesus said in um, Matthew 9. He was moved with compassion 
for the fields are white unto harvest. And the first thing he said, he said, therefore now pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in the harvest. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we want to go and speak and do, but if we pray, we began to pray in Toronto, say, God, give us souls. And then we were baptizing, what? Like we would baptize yeah, 20, 40 people at a time and then make a call and more people would jump in the tank with their clothes on. And so, Lord, we would just want to see souls get saved and want to pray yes, God. the tears and the travail and the, the cry of more. And one more thing, uh, you're talking, to Diane, about women in ministry. And I just for some reason felt compelled recently to read Catherine Coleman's books again. So I've been reading Catherine Coleman's books and now I'm reading a book that Benny Hinn wrote on Catherine Coleman and extraordinary signs and wonders. People giving up on life. They just want to die because they're so ill and they get healed in a moment in her meetings but there is a woman who had to forge through so much criticism especially a divorced woman to do what she did and all i want to say is god we want to see signs and wonders like what yes. Catherine coleman yes. plus 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 carol Arden was born on her birthday and there's a lot of connection there but lord extraordinary signs and wonders because healing and miracles are the dinner bell, dinner bell to the supper of salvation. And we are going wow. to see this billion soul harvest. Oh, man. Well, um, we have about 15 minutes left. I want to hear a little bit about leadership from both of you because you're both extraordinary leaders. Uh, John, maybe you can just share from any angle you want, but, you know, maybe a leader lesson that you learned that you think will apply to everybody else, or maybe a mistake you made that you were able to finally overcome. What was the secret? Give us a little bit of that understanding. And then, uh, and then Patricia, you do the same. Yeah. Well, let me start uh, during those years of the outpouring in Toronto and, and uh, for myself, let me even backtrack a touch farther. I remember when John and Carol Arnett brought forth the whole thing of inner healing. Let's get, Chester, I mean, first it was John and Paula Sanford, then Chester and Betsy Kilster, a few others in between. And, and we got RTF. We had Restoring the Foundations Ministry. They provided for us to get a whole week. And, and it was that that really uncorked what I found in my own life to be a lot of shame and unworthiness that I believe held me back. It kept me from stepping into the place of leadership where I wasn't intentional. And so, you know, to me, I, I didn't see it. You don't know what you don't know. And so having received some level of ministry, but then you have to live it out. You have to live out the transformation and the change it takes on the inside. And so I, at that one season of my life, I was in this position where I was overseeing the cafe in my leadership in Toronto. And picture again, there's like thousands coming on an ongoing basis. And so here's a staff member in the cafe, a leader in the cafe that ends up having a real anger issue. And that anger issue, every now and again, the lava would flow and people would get hurt and damaged. And I, you know, I, I had people say, oh, he's such a nice guy. And, and I think I took that on as an identity. And I just, it's not like I want to rebuke it because it's not like I don't want to be a nice guy. But, but I just don't want that to be my primary identity. I think a nice guy's finished last. I don't think I like that. And, and here's this guy. And I didn't have the courage or the guts to actually say, we need to talk about something. There's something serious that's actually not only affecting your staff, but affecting the clients, the customers, the people that are coming to receive from the Holy Spirit. And something you know, rubs you the wrong way, hits your button and you're spouting off at them. And I didn't have the courage to go talk to this guy. Somebody stepped in above my head, took him aside and fired him because it had happened too many times. And in leadership, I am like, John, you've got to get over yourself, 
And I think it was the Holy Spirit really leading me in this. You got to get over yourself, learn what it means to confront people, but anything worth doing is worth doing well. So therefore learn to confront well. And so pastorally, I began to realize that it's time to get some spiritual backbone because, you know, you, you start to talk to people, you start to connect with people, you want to develop the leadership in people. And that means you have to learn to confront things. You have to learn to have some difficult, challenging conversations with people when you see mm -hmm. things going on. And sometimes Patricia saw it before I did. So I'm saying, Lord, you know, help me to see, take the blinders off. But it really helped me because I, I remember groaning before the Lord saying, God, I am so sorry. Like I could have saved this guy his job had I been in a place where I had learned to actually, you know, confront the issue, but do it well, do it in a way that honored the Lord, that honored the person, but said, there is something there that inner healing can actually help. Let's find out what's at the root of this explosive anger issue. And, uh, and so I was very, very, um, hurt and transformed that I, I felt responsible for this guy being fired, but it so helped me because my, woundedness in that place really helped me that many times later throughout the years in in pastoral uh work and being able to talk to others that if i saw stuff i realized that i'm actually doing them a favor even though it may appear mm. to be taking a withdrawal from the relational bank account you know i sought to put deposits in it's another deposit to confront people but it could be perceived as a withdrawal in that relational bank account but it's, it's just it's, so worth it it's one of the things I love about Catch the Fire ministry in particular, but so many ministries now are learning that we can't project an image of being perfect, of I'm this spiritual giant, nothing's wrong with me, I'm here to lead you. Um, you know, I feel like giving people an image of leadership that is like that sets a leader up for for um, problems for the rest of their life because they can't get help. They can't be vulnerable. They can't model just what being real is. And I think it's a day and an age globally where leaders are good, learning that and beginning to step into that, but not nearly to the degree that you guys walk in freedom of that. And I just want to say that, you know, to those that are watching on the pod or listening to, on the podcast today that you know, we not only have permission to be vulnerable and real, but it's necessary because if we put up an image that spirituality is perfection, it sets other people up to believe that also. And that causes all kinds of hiding and sin and depression and guilt and shame. And, um, you know, getting help, getting free is just part of the norm within our ministry, um, when issues come up, hey, get therapy, get counseling, um, confess your faults one to another uh, that we may be healed. And it um, it really bypasses a lot of problems that churches have. And so I really appreciate you sharing that because it isn't the norm, unfortunately, across churchdom today, but it's, yeah. but it's becoming it's becoming a, a more more so, you know. No, I appreciate your courage even even sharing that because obviously your challenge in that area becomes our victory as we kind of learn from you. Mm -hmm. I know for me, uh, conflict avoidance was always a big mm -hmm. challenge in my leadership, and it really did sabotage my effectiveness many, many times. Over the years, I've learned a, a little bit of a secret was just as soon as I'm working with somebody, 
the first conversation, I ask permission to speak into their life. That helps me so much because, you know, can I please have permission if I see something to speak to you boldly about it? Because then that that little edge of not feeling comfortable is taken away. I just have to say, you know, remember a few months ago I asked for permission? Well, I need to take you up on that today. And that helped me to overcome my own fear of a, of a conflict. Um, that's amazing, John. Patricia, why don't you share with us kind of maybe a key to leadership in, in your world? Yeah, um, I would say uh, that one of the tests I believe every leader is going to get challenged with is what do we do with criticism? How do we handle criticism when uh, you know people don't like you or people say things about you and, and whatnot? And I think there was something that Betsy Kilstra, uh, you know, founder of RTF with her husband, Chester, said to me one time, she said she was, you know, I was ministering the stage and she said, Patricia, the level of strength with which you minister, you got to, that's amazing. God gave you that gift, but then you got to temper it down when you're talking to people. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, I just, I've certainly taken my share of criticism. I probably, you know, deserved criticism. Uh, but what, what I feel like, though, to say is this, how we respond to it is so massive. I just feel like if we do it badly, it's, it's almost like it, it can um, prevent us from going to another level in the Lord. And so when the Lord began to speak to me, by the way, going back to what did I learn previously? But I just want to say, I feel like one of the things the Lord's saying lately, go back to that which he previously taught us. Go back to that which we previously learned. And one of it is the Father Heart Revelation. Because, you know, our orphan hearts, they get, they get triggered. You know, they can get triggered in a, in a shaking of the world right now. And, you know, the things that are so unusual that are happening. It's like we're us coming here only a month in to moving to a new city. It's just like, oh, God, I've got to trust my father to come through. So anyways, in criticism, when it's like the orphan can rise up, it's like, what do you mean? You know, I'm okay. I've, I've, I've you know. And so where I have felt that I've tried to justify myself or try to turn the tables to say, oh, that person criticizing, well, I know something about them, you know, and how they operate or whatever. It's the three things I, it felt like the Lord taught me about criticism is number one, listen, learn, and love. Listen, learn, and love. In other words, listen, even if they criticize badly, even if they tell 10 people things before they talk to you or they never do talk to you. Um, is there any level of truth that you can gain? You know, we could, if we could actually back up for a moment, not be offended, because that's the normal thing to do is get offended and get hurt and, uh, from criticism. But uh, what can I learn? Because I can learn something. You know, I, I've always found something that I could have done better and I should have done better or could have tempered it down or not been so, you know, intimidating or whatever. Listen, learn, uh, which is, you know, what can I learn? What can I change? What can I do differently? And then love, because it's not so much about win the argument as win the heart. Can we see that relationship restored? Matthew 18, go to the person. And um, I want to just, I believe God's really going after leaders in this, that sometimes we can justify, well, we need to talk about somebody, you know, to all our leadership team before we you know, before we confront them. And I'm just not sure if I see that in the Bible. In other words, when somebody has done something in a sinful nature against us or whatever, that we actually um, do follow 
the Matthew 18 principle, not to go prove to them I'm right and I'm okay after all, but what is it that's going on in your life and, and, uh, and, and to be able to pass the test. Listen, learn, love. Try to win that heart. You know, I think sometimes as leaders, we're, we're so, we're ready to kick people out or really praying that they get the assignment to go to a different church, <laughs> which maybe they will. Maybe that's, they're supposed to do that. But let's not pigeonhole people. I think the temptation as leaders is that we pigeonhole people as whatever, as they're a little bit crazy or they're critical or they're this, they're that, and we write them off. I don't believe Jesus wants us to write them off. Yeah. I think he really loves all people. And he's asking us to care about them, love them. I'm mentoring right now a group of um, next generation women. Uh, some of them are worship leaders. Some of them are pastors or pastor's wives. Or And there's some, yeah, they're going, some of them are going through some crazy things, you know, really tough, tough things. But what I'm seeing is God uh, bringing gold into this generation mm -hmm. to say, I want to pass the test before the Lord. You know, I want to you know, be right before him. There's a character a test that God does to all of us as leaders. It's not so much about your gifting. And I think, to be honest with you, I think for a while I leaned on the gift. I leaned on my gifting. And then the Lord all the while was saying, um, I'll cap that gift if the character isn't at the level of the gift, you know? So wow. in other words, listen, learn, and love, and you'll be, you'll be happy to do. One other last thing I just want to share is that um, maybe it's my nature personality type a driver all that stuff is to respond quickly but i've learned that if i will back up not respond in a place of hurt or or, or in conflict or in anger i think we could all use this even for those on facebook <laughs> on on social media don't trigger don't let those knee-jerk reactions uh, back up into the holy spirit i found that oh, if i could just back up into the holy spirit not shoot that email off just say what do you say Holy Spirit, what are you saying about that person? Or what are you saying about this situation? Get God's perspective. He sees that heart so much better than I do. And then uh, get back into the Father loves me. Um, even if I am being criticized or whatever, rightly or wrongly, I know who I am. I'm defined by my Father in heaven. I'm okay because he loves me. Okay. And he will correct me in his love. But um, my source of glory, if you will, or, or like John 5, Jesus said to the Pharisees, hey, you don't, you're not looking, you're looking for man's approval. You're looking for the, for the, the approval of men, but you don't know my father because I seek the glory that comes from the one and only God. So I'm like, I read that and reread that and read that. God, my sustenance is from you. So, so, mm -hmm. so good. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, it's obvious that we're going to have to have each of you on your own podcast sometime in the next several months because you both have so much amazing wisdom to bring. And uh, just even those last two points about, you know, the courage to confront, but also the courage to receive uh, mm -hmm. criticism in a godly way. I mean, those two things together, honestly, right. if you're, if you're, you know, hearing this podcast, please take those to heart because those are transformative. We need to wrap up, but um, Diane, do you have any final thoughts before we close? And then maybe you can lead us in prayer as we, as we wrap yeah, this time up. I just, I feel like I just want to thank you for being on this podcast. You, you have really interesting, rich lives and I love rich ta uh, risk takers. I love pioneers. We're, 
we tend to be that way. We tend to be pioneers rather than farmers. We can we can build a farm, but we want to find somebody to take it over and go down the road and you know start the next farm, and uh, and we just want to pray for your new church plant and for all that's going on and and uh, yeah, just thank you for being here. Oh, such a pleasure yeah. and honor. Thank Could you. I just say that we've been around for quite a few years with Catch the Fire, but you, Michael and Diane, you have brought so much richness to the movement. Mm -hmm. We are thankful that you are you know, part of Catch the Fire. You're contributing to Catch the Fire. Just what you brought is just amazing. So thank you. Thank you very much. Super, super practical. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> It's yeah. such an honor for us. So we're super happy. Diane, could you just pray a blessing on there? Yeah, as we come close? on. Father, we thank you for this couple. We thank you for John and Patricia that you've led them for such a time as this. And we thank you that they've taken a big risk. They've come to a new land and set a stake in the soil and are just saying, come here, Lord. We ask that you'd open doors for, with the right people, that they would have ears to hear and eyes to see, and that they would know what to do, Lord, that they could be meek and gentle, and um, that you would guide them from wisdom from above, Lord. Thank you for them. Keep them in unity. Keep them in perfect peace. And we just pray for each person listening to this podcast yes. that the Lord be with you and shine upon you and give your heart light that you would overcome the obstacles that um, you're facing and that you would find joy and peace in the presence of God. And we give our lives to you, Lord, and we thank you for who we are and who you've made us to be. Just take us to the next step now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.